Welcome to Savage Starlight, the officially unofficial podcast for The Last of Us on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back for another episode of Season 1, Episode 6, Kin. This time it's a feedback episode. Aaron, how's that feedback looking? It's, uh, it's big. It's big. Girthy. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. It's a bloater, bloater sized. Uh, mm. We should probably get to it. T. Lou at baldmove.com. <laughs> I'm not going to be like the Kansas City fuck nuts i'm gonna get i'm gonna i'm gonna be proactive about dealing with this infected population uh coming in tlu at baldmove.com is how you get in touch with us uh for the show first up is jeb so to find it odd that you keep being unsure whether to sympathize sympathize with the kc resistors speak of the devil where from the beginning we see that their mo is to waylay travelers especially ones who would feel sympathetic towards an injured person find it hard to believe that those ambushers were acting off script when we are first introduced to the group. I should say that I was completely get, or I should say that I completely get wanting to kill Henry wouldn't hold that against them, but their actions prove them not sympathetic as a group. Now, Jim, this email came in after the feedback, but before this week's episode, I wonder if Jeb would feel differently after hearing mm. Joel and Tommy's conversation because and this is a show only thing because like they are, I think, talking more about this on the show than they ever did in the video game. But they're painting a picture of Joel and Tommy doing their fair shade of raiding and ambushing. Sure. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of give, <laughs> you know, we're talking like days, the post-revolutionary days since the QZ has fallen, since they've... Uh, conquered their their tormentors the here yeah. yeah so i'm like give them some time to mellow out you know they're still amped up on that that revolutionary uh those revolutionary juices yeah maybe, maybe they'll chill out yeah and i you know it's um we like joel we think he's a stand-up guy uh mm-hmm. and maybe he and tommy had rules like no kids uh you know maybe maybe they they had rules for like when they'd take pity and when they didn't but i imagine quite a few uh no, decently nice able-bodied uh men and women met their end at the tip of a blade or the bite of a bullet uh at the at the hands of joel and tommy because they just mm-hmm. not they didn't even know better it's just that they weren't any good at doing anything else yeah um that's not a great excuse for murdering innocent people, by the way. You know, you just can't sure. figure out the non-murdering, non-raping lifestyle. Like, but mm-hmm. I, that's the thing. Like, this show and and the game's thesis is kind of like holding people up like a prism and, or not a prism, like a kaleidoscope and kind of turning them and twisting them like, is, 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 do you agree with this? Do you agree with this? How about this? What if it's on the shoes on this foot? And, um... I don't know. I think it's a really good uh, philosophical laboratory to kind of test your moral systems. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, and I don't like the fact. Look, I think it was done much better by Jackson. Um, Jackson rides up on you. They put guns on you. They test you. They try and figure out who you are and what you're about before they just indiscriminately kill you. Yeah. So I think that's a much better approach. So I don't want to totally give Casey a pass, but I think, yeah. you know, like I said, Casey still hopped up on whatever drug they were they were huffing. And to your point about Jackson, I would love to see that interaction interaction play out minus Tommy's brother. 
Like if Joel yes, didn't have the Tommy card to play, like how do they like do they really sweat outsiders? Mm-hmm. Um, do they would they just let Joel and Ellie go? It's one of those things where like, once you find a forbidden city, you have to join or die. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we don't we don't have any information on that other than how they treated someone who they consider kind of family and, yeah. you know, what they have to say about their own community, which, you know, may be accurate, <laughs> maybe not. Mm hmm. Yeah, what what do they consider trying them, right? Right. What, what means they're going to kill you and dump your body to scare off others? Right, right. And what are the wrong sorts? What are the wrong types of people? Mm-hmm. Rusty says, Troy Baker played The Last of Us on YouTube with fellow voice actors to hype up the second game. It's called The Last of Us, the definitive playthrough. See link below. Nice. Um, so this is something I, I, I even think I said is like, man, if you get Troy Baker playing mm-hmm. it, that would pretty much be the definitive version. And by God, he did. And it's called <laughs> the called definitive playthrough. Um, I am going to give this link to our producer. And if she is gracious, she will send this or put this into our show notes. Um, but if you want, if you're driving down the road and you just want to keep this in your memory bank banks, if you search for the last of us definitive playthrough, it's going to be the first thing that, that shows up. So pretty cool. Pretty freaking cool. Uh, Rusty has we a question should, we, for it. when we play it, we should call it the definitive playthrough. That way everybody will search for ours. <laughs> yeah. Camp out. He on, doesn't know that name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, uh, the camp out on that search engine optimization term. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, question for you both, Rusty asks, how do you feel about the acting on the show compared to the video game? I think the show is great so far, but it comes up short in some moments. To me, Joel losing Sarah, for example, in the show, not as heartbreaking as in the game. I think this is a large part to Troy Baker's acting. It's much more intense compared to what they did in the show. I remember Tess and Joel's conversation in the Capitol building before Tess dies being more impactful as well. It could just be biased from playing the game first. Your thoughts? Do you think a couple thousand polygons mm-hmm. is a, and, and, and a very talented man's voice is a better actor than one Pedro Pascal? I don't think so. I mean, I connect more with real people than I do uh, digital 3D avatars. Always have. I can't say that'll always be true, um, but so far that's held. And I think I'm... I don't know. The acting in the video game is very good. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I think it's something about watching meatbags do it that makes me feel better about it. I'll say this, because this has been a topic conversation throughout the season. And we had a couple of theories on like, oh, well, it's it's your POV and your actions versus a a, a third party kind of Mm. bystander POV. And that's why it's different. And it's this and it's that. And because I, I think that the digital acting and especially The Last of Us 2, I haven't played the super spiffy edition of The Last of Us 1 yet. But The Last of Us 2 <laughs> Which one? is remastered or part one. <laughs> There's right. two of them. Whichever the newest one is. I played the middle version and I thought that was good. But I just played The Last of Us 2. So it still in retrospect looked like just going from Last of Us 2 to Last of Us remastered or whatever the one that was a few years ago made mm-hmm. that even remastered version look kind of dog shit. But, uh, and that's the funny thing is after 30 minutes of playing, I completely forgot and I was just Im- immersed. But um, I thought that the digital acting in The Last of Us 2 especially was shockingly good. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't believe how well these characters were remote. And the voice work was always was top notch. Now, 
Another theory that I kind of cribbed from the official podcast is Neil and Craig were comparing notes in his latest episode about this very question, the acting in the video game versus the acting in the show. And Neil said the one thing about the video game is you can't really close crop on someone's face unless it's a cut scene. But a lot of these scenes mm-hmm. they're adapting are not cut scenes are in universe. So you can spin around and look at Joel's face, but you can never get like closer than six feet away, probably 10 feet away. Same thing. And then, you know, Ellie's across the room and they say that in the video game, it's much more stage acting like it's bigger Mm, movements. It's more explosive dialogue because you are trying to project to that person across the other screen that's viewing all this action out of remove. Well, in the series, you can do like Pete Jackson style, just zoom in on these people's faces where they fill up the whole screen and those quiet moments like Pedro quietly breaking down and losing his shit over the panic attacks and feeling like he's a failure and not being able to do it anymore. I think that's a big part of it too, that, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, you see Les Mis the stage play, you see Les Mis the film, what you prefer probably has to do with which style of acting you maybe uh, respond to. Or prefer. And I would imagine that what uh, Troy Baker's doing in the video game is much more intense because they're yeah. trying to get that go big, so it 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 it, it carries through. So it's it's. I think it's different. Yeah, I, I'm a big uh, cinema acting fan. I I don't see a lot of stage plays. You don't say. And, yeah. Oh, <laughs> just in, yeah, compared to the stage play. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Daniel says y'all mentioned creating a show where a group of people must survive in a simulated post-apocalyptic environment. Well, the Discovery Channel has a show that did just that. It's called The Colony and ran for two seasons from 2009 to 2010. Oh, you're right. So you've seen this and forgot about it? Yes, yes. Because uh, as I recall, it wasn't great. Um, and it it was more like, wasn't it like them <laughs> could be donkey brains? It could be the donkey brains issue, too. It, it, it could be that. Uh, yeah, but it needs to run with one one group of people. As I recall, this was like a, a season long thing. Yeah. So, so, he so says they he had like a few weeks to build a civilization. That's not a civilization. That's yeah. a hobby project. Um, says each season brought together 10 or so participants from different backgrounds, medical, engineering, contracting, the best, the, the best character best class, obviously, uh, put them, yeah. put them in a central location, created situations like marauders, sleep deprivation, a lack of no fucking way marauders and lack of food or water. <laughs> well, they're never in mortal danger. Come well, on. Right. But still, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird to say like, we're going to send people and attack you. What do they do? Like come in at night and break their shit. It may break shit or kidnap a couple of them, you know, oh, like you know, play a kid's game of paintball. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting show because each person gave insight in how you could survive the end of the world using knowledge of their pers- respective fields from creating soap to clean water to solar and even biofuel. Mm. Uh, Jill from New Jersey also chimed in and said there's also ha- a show on PBS called Pioneer House where a modern family Hmm. lived a normal life outside the home, but then came home to a house from the 1800s where they had to live that lifestyle while being filmed. Uh, There's also a... uh, uh, In the pioneer version, the families were dropped into different situations, some with a small house already built, others where they'd start from scratch and prepare for their families to join them. Cool concepts. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I want to see one that spans like 10 years with the same crew, same, same setup, maybe minus Marauders. I don't know. Degrassi survival edition or something like that. Sure. Um, so yeah, check that out. If you want to get some more of that Jackson Wyoming vibes, 
Uh, Ashley says, I wanted to comment on Joel's hand situation since I had noticed it all along, uh, but no one had mentioned it. It's probably only interesting uh, or mildly interesting, so that's why. I don't think it has anything to do with spoilers. Uh, <laughs> but since Jim brought it up saying that he had arthritis, I felt compelled to point it out. When Joel, Ellie, and Tess are leaving the Boston QZ and Joel beats the Fedra druggy guy to death, he clearly breaks his hand in multiple places. It doesn't heal properly, and it comes up several times since. When Joel hmm. is providing sniper cover for Ellie during the bloater scene, he can't recock the gun and winces and struggles with his hands. Made a comment that he didn't take the shot as Ellie was too close, but if you rewatch it, it's his hand that stalls his firing. He also has a scene rubbing his hand in the bar with his brother, and later on, it's his hand that is the reason that he can't mend his shoe. Seems like he no longer has fine motor uh, skill or strength to do those type of things. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I yeah. missed that. Battle damage uh, accruing over the course of a season. I like it. And uh, mm-hmm. good, good, good eyes. Good eyes, Ashley. Kevin from our hometown of Cincinnati, you were asking what's the purpose of the bloaters are to non-gamers. Remember that the bloaters in-game would throw chunks at you that exploded and spores were spread in a small area around it. Without spores in the show, they obviously don't do that. My second thought is, with the spores gone, the bloaters' job in the show could be to protect the other infected from threats, like a guy with a gun, so they can spread elsewhere. Yeah, someone actually emailed this is such a related thought that I, I combined them but they said that like that could be a plausible reason that bloaters evolved the fact that there's this large scale effort to push the infected underground and kind of like you in some way they had to be bullying these guys and push them around that the bloaters mm-hmm. developed as a counter strategy to that yeah not pushing a bloater you need like not, a tank you would need yeah you would need it you would need a tank um yeah, I don't I don't know. Uh, again, I don't think that life needs a reason to evolve counterproductive strategies. Uh, life saw fit to reroute my urethra through my prostate. So if hmm. one of those glands goes bad, I can die from urine retention. Uh, we have, uh, you know, there's there's we have we have tailbones that serve no purpose other than to cause extreme pain when we fall on our ass. Lots of lots of untidy things that happen in evolution, and I feel like the bloater is just potentially one of those things. Now, when we go to the ad, make every shot count. We'll be back with more of Savage Starlight. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. All new Pulp and Prestige this week. On Tuesday, we'll cover the latest episode of The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live on Pulp. And on Thursday, we'll catch up with the latest Samurai subterfuge on FX Hulu's Shogun. Then on our House of the Dragon feed, Anthony puts on his Maester's class on Monday. And then on Thursday, Steve joins him for Electric Bookaloo as they continue their discussion of George R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. You'll find these and many of our other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Prestige in your favorite podcast app. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the Shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. 
This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sonata from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. We're not the cure for mankind, but we have your favorite podcast. Here's more of Savage Starlight. Uh, been in Boston. As a lawyer, though, on the criminal defense side, I thought I could shed some light in the Maria being assistant district attorney right out of law school. Not only is it possible, it's actually pretty common. ADA jobs don't pay well, but you get a ton of courtroom experience right away, more than almost any other area of practice. It's very common for new lawyers to work as ADAs for a couple of years right out of law school, get that experience, then go on to better paying jobs with more experience on their resumes. Uh, yeah, I surmise that just by looking around, but I, we had several uh, people with law experience chiming in and saying the same thing. It's not even necessarily about how big the place is. It's just that a lot of, you know, you need a lot of, the DAs have a lot of cases and they need a lot of help. And, um, it is something that, that first year law or sorry, fresh out of, fresh out of the bar exam, uh, lawyers can gravitate towards. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Ben also says as a defense attorney, I can't help but take a shot at prosecutors. You can tell that Maria was a brand new ADA because she was able to say she was keeping bad guys off the street with a straight face. When we all know (laughs) the vast majority of people in prison are there for nonviolent drug offenses. Oh, if I know anything about lawyers, there'll be a bunch of them champing at the bit to respond. But, uh, this ain't a law blog. (laughs) (laughs) Go, go take it up with your bar association, uh, or the local bar either way. Uh, Tom from South Jersey says, I'm still watching the latest episode, but I noticed something I had to ask you about. This is wild. This is the theoretical person that is watching the scene of the show, listening to the scene of our podcast and sending feedback all in real time. Hmm. You know, we always joke about like, oh, you can't, you can't spoil things in the podcast later on the episode because people might be, you know, I, I I think we found Uh that person. Oh, wow. All right. <laughs> um, I, I noticed that none of the Jackson Hole citizens were armed with an assault rifle of any kind. They all carried bolt-action hunting rifles. There's a place where an assault rifle could be scavenged. It would certainly be the American West. I figure at this point it has to be on purpose. The only people that have carried assault rifles are the quote-unquote bad guys, and Joel ditched his rifle the moment he got a chance. Is this some kind of gun control statement by the show? Is there some obscure hmm. Canadian law about showing assault rifles? Kind of like how many F-bombs you can get in an R-rated movie? Jim, what? I don't know. I hadn't do considered think? it, but I mean, you're probably right. Uh, the post-apocalypse is a place where I would sanction uh, or where I would approve of owning assault rifles. It is kind of conspicuous that there aren't any, given their prevalence uh, in this country. So I, yeah, I, I don't know what the deal is. 
I mean, I wouldn't put it past Neil or Craig. They seem uh, to be sure. fairly liberal people that would have an opinion on that one way or another. It could also be that it's just reflecting the game. That this is like an in joke mm -hmm. because assault rifles are very much in game weaponry, even though surely you see assault. You get, there's people with assault rifles in the game before you get there, like the Federal people, but you never are able to get, or, or even if right. you did get a rifle, you'd get no ammo for it. So I think it's supposed to kind of, but it could also be, I don't know, they could be going for some kind of Jedi, more civilized weapon for a more civilized age, kind of mm -hmm. the bolt action. Uh, is 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 more sporting i don't fuck i don't know um but uh, uh F fedra has them right uh yeah, 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 yeah didn't yeah. the dude yeah the dude that joel was making the deals with have one mm -hmm. uh and he buried joel it didn't... to get rid of it but yeah it was yeah, yeah it was, i think for lack of ammo and again i think it's more of like a, a wink to the game uh uh players but i i you know i'm a i'm a firearm enjoyer and owner and i didn't pick up on any of that stuff but um mm-hmm yeah, uh, Eric, but I, I did get several people that said the same uh, things and I don't know. I just um, I guess it depends on how you feel, feel about it. And if you feel like that's something that's currently under threat, I don't as again, gun owner, gun enjoyer. I don't feel like my right to bear arms is anywhere near being encroached on. But if you feel differently, maybe you're a little more sensitive to that. Uh, Eric McBee says, I think Eli or Ellie will use her new period cup and Joel's wound to stop the bleeding. No. God, oh Jesus! How did this slip through? It doesn't stop bleeding. <laughs> it doesn't stop bleeding. It just catches it, the blood. It does. It. It. I. I think it would do a decent job of sealing up the wound, and it would hold <laughs> the blood for uh -huh. later. The uh -huh. drain. I don't. Yeah. No. This is a bad idea. How did just? Well, how did a shit post get into my email bag, Eric? <laughs> Who knows? Mimi. I just like I I just as soon as I it's like a one liner email and I busted a gut this morning and I was like I, I had to get it into the mailbag. Mimi says I'm a long time listener and wanted to write in. You might have seen this 2017 Atlantic article discussed in your group. Forgive me if it's old news, but the knowledge we have of ants and cordyceps infection has evolved since The Last of Us came out. Hmm. From what I gather. When the game came out, the prevalent idea of the zombie fungus ant was our concept of like like our concept of zombies, that the fungus attacks the brain and turns it into a mindless body. But it's even freakier. In another 2019 article, it discussed how the fungus does not actually hijack the brain. The fungus surrounds the brain and tells the ant's body there's a new brain in town taking over its movements and functions. The ant's actual brain is still alive. It's uh, perhaps the ultimate I have no mouth and must scream as the ant's brain slowly dies, though its mind probably broke long ago. Well, I know that T. Lou isn't made with that knowledge in mind. It's an interesting take on the affected in the show. It's not my head cannon, but with that take, the test kiss just got even freakier. Um, mm -hmm. I read a little bit this and independently verified, but yeah, the current understanding of cordyceps is it does not hijack the brain. It hijacks the body's motor functions rerouting around the brain. Like nervous so, system of the body. Yeah. Now, I don't think an ant has the advanced kind of contraception or conception of itself to process the idea that its brain is stuck in a body that's not under its control and it has no, it right. has no mandible, but it must scream. Mm -hmm. Um, but that seems like it'd be super horrifying from a human perspective. Yes. Yeah, that's I, I was just while you're reading this email, I'm sitting there thinking about what would that feel like? It'd be terrible. It'd be terrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
to be it would like be terrible at- if it was just like taking me to mcdonald's to order a mcmuffin or something yeah it's it's a yeah. hundred times more terrible when it's eating my loved ones yeah because like you know some humans will have the experience of losing control of their bodies they literally will not be able to use you know like they'll have some kind of thing they'll happen mm-hmm. to them but like being hijacked and consciously aware of it would be a whole other level of hell yeah when you lose the ability to use parts or all of your body it doesn't become some other entity that then goes off and does its own thing it's just you can't use it which is a certain kind of hell but this seems like an even worse kind of hell yeah i'm curious if they'll ever because i think they're they're, without spoiling anything there's ways the game explores some of that um that i wonder if they'll ever i actually thought we would have gotten around to exploring some of that by now i wonder if 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 they'll ever include that in this one or the next season i don't know uh derek says maybe oh we got some dog theories you ready some dog some dog theories jim sure derek's up first he says maybe the dog is like an at-home covid test and the fedra zombitron 3000 is like a pcr test at-home tests don't work reliably unless the infection is really active, but the more advanced PCR tests can detect a much lower level of infection. Ellie's body either suppresses or eliminates the infection, so the doggo might not be able to pick up on her being infected. It also has been months since she was last bitten, whereas it's been much more recent with tests when she used the Z3000 on her. I think that's plausible. Yeah. Yeah, that would make a certain amount of sense. I- I've got another option, though. Uh, oh? It's my headcanon that she still had some of that beef jerky in her pocket and just gave it to the dog when it came up. <laughs> as the, the as good as it gets strategy. Have you seen that movie where uh, Jack Nicholson steals Greg Kinnear's Jack Russell ter- Terrier from him? Like there's this emotional scene where like <laughs> okay. they both are like, you know, vying for this dog's affections and uh, the, it goes for Jack Nicholson. And that towards the end of the movie, he reveals to Greg Kinnear that his his secret was he had a pocket full of bacon nice <laughs> yeah that's got to be it um brian has yet a third theory regarding the dog i suspect that someone or telling someone a large canine can detect and rip apart any infected is but a ruse the dog is trained to growl and then playfully engage with anyone it's told to inspect the handler's looking for a reaction in the person being inspected. If they run, they probably get shot in the back, which sucks for anyone who's clean, but nevertheless fearful of large dogs. Hmm. I think that's pretty plausible, too, that this is another part of the smoke and mirrors. Like, it's a lie detector. It's not that lie detectors work. It's that people think they do, and the reaction you get from that is interesting to a trained interrogator. Sure. Yeah, so it's meant to make them nervous. And when they show that they're nervous, you realize they have something to be nervous about. There's a really funny video that came out this week of Pedro Pascal getting hooked up by Vanity Fair to a lie detector. And they ask him a whole bunch of questions <laughs> about and what, The Last of Us. No, 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 no. Well, oh, okay. maybe I just watched a clip of one of them was mm-hmm. they're asking they ask him a whole bunch of questions and it's all easy going. And the lady busted out when you're feeling bad and or down or no, she said, are you aware of any of the heartthrob uh <laughs> any of the heartthrob pedro pascal instagram accounts mm-hmm. and he's like yes and she's like when you're feeling bad about yourself do you ever browse the pedro pascal 
a heartthrob sites. He goes, no. And the guy's like, you're lying. He's like, yes, I do. I do. Actually, I do. He's like, what's your favorite one? He goes, Pedro Pascal fan account. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, he seems like a genuine sweetheart. That was the most dis- one of the most disarming things I've ever seen. This guy mm-hmm. <laughs> getting getting the lie detector treatment from a Hollywood reporter. Um, Elliot says, I was struck in the latest episode by the gap in Joel's mind between wanting Ellie to succeed and wanting not to fail. Joel wants to avoid failure so badly that he'll send his brother with Ellie alone, even if it means he might be killing Ellie and his brother. Does he really think he won't just feel as guilty as if that happens? Or does he hope he can tuck tail and run back to his QZ and just never find out what happened back west? he wanted her to succeed he'd not only go with his brother he'd be training ellie uh night and day not just how to hunt and dress game but how to fish how to spot infected how to use the knife basic first aid etc investing that much time into ensuring ellie's survival would mean he cares about her and that's scary so he won't accept that her success is now inevitably tied to his actions whether he's there or not hmm yeah that has been a bit of a question mark for me like why isn't he teaching her more skills uh she should know how to hunt. She should know how to stand guard. And it seems like he's doing the the bare necessities there. Like she he's clearly told her something about how to how to keep watch. But he's not teaching her a lot of survival skills. So yeah, I mean he his her fate is definitely tied up in his Yeah, I don't know. I get I give him a pass on this because of how emotionally compromised he is with Sarah. Um, it's hard to tell that guy like, Hey, don't you realize this is a situation? Shouldn't you be doing this, this, and this, if that's the case, um, (laughs) without also considering maybe he can't, maybe he's just not mentally, emotionally equipped to do that. And that's the key. That's what I kept on thinking is like, you know, when you're in panic attack territory, you are not, processing things logically of course yeah. he would feel like 10 sacks of shit if tommy and ellie never come back right mm-hmm. but like when he's in this bad spot where you know because part of a panic attack is like this in feeling of impending doom like people go mm-hmm. into the hospital people think they're having a heart attack because your body and brain are saying there's something terribly wrong but there, you know there's no there there right um you'll do about anything to make that feeling stop and i you know like, like i've seen people I've been that person, but I've actually seen people too, where you can like, they just, they just can't handle it. They just literally can't, they can't go on hearing one more word. They can't go on experiencing one more sensation of whatever they're feeling. And they just, they just shut down. And it's not like you're thinking about the future because inside your mind, there is none. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, uh, if you haven't had lot much experience with that kind of stuff, then salute, you know, <laughs> you've had, you've had a good life and continue doing what you're doing to, to, to keep on getting it. But it is not a situation where logic is sharing the room. Uh, Joe from Georgia says, I'm sure you guys have already received a shit ton of feedback about this. I just listened to your instant take for episode six in regards to the difference between Jackson and Jackson hole. Jackson is the name of the actual town in Wyoming. Jackson Hole is the name of the valley where the town of Jackson is situated. Okay. That's cool. It's apparently a geographic feature. 
hopefully the survivors who fortified Jackson until the last of us have also enclosed the adjacent ski resort as part of the settlement because it's one dope ski mountain. There's also 25,000 acres of national elk refuge right next to Jackson. They have enough fencing for that too. Then elk stakes after a day of skiing is about the most perfect post-apocalyptic paradise I could imagine. Wow. Yeah. They, they yeah. gotta be getting those elk stakes. That's a, that's a hell of a place to hole up, man. Mm hmm. Eliza, I've enjoyed listening to you guys for years from Game of Thrones to Westworld rip to everything. But what I can't tell from listening to Savage Starlight is if you are actually enjoying watching the show. So are you? I'm getting what I would call a distressing amount of this type of feedback where people are like, what? they okay. cannot process, even though the, every fucking episode, except for the one involves gay men. Is like 99% on IMDB rating that we are somehow faking our enjoyment because we're trying to capture the fake enjoyment of millions of other people. <laughs> wow. I, I, All right. I don't I don't know what you, to say. You want to hear this. a counterpoint? Uh, go listen to The Mandalorian. Wait, is The Mandalorian a book of Boba? Because I don't know that we shit. I mean, we definitely no, should. No, me, me specifically. I think you oh, like The Mandalorian oh, oh. a little more than I do. Uh, that's about to come back. Go listen to that podcast and tell me that you <laughs> think I would fake enthusiasm for something. <laughs> oh, just boy, because Mandalorian's coming back next week. We both kind of hate it. Only on the Bald Move Network. Try but two. Come see the most mediocre coverage of The Mandalorian <laughs> of all time. Yeah. Come see yeah. us watch the show that's better than the book of Boba Fett anyway. Uh, what a fucking promo for Mandalorian. Yeah, I hmm. man, especially coming from somebody who's listened to us for years. I, I don't know. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just jaded and jaded is, is too strong a word. Maybe I've just seen too much at this point. Maybe yeah. I don't express my enjoyment of these things nearly as much um, yeah. as I used to. But man, when I'm talking about a scene and I'm saying how amazing the acting was like with Joel and Tommy in this mm. episode, that's me saying how much I enjoyed this episode. And I don't feel like I've been doing that any less or any more in the show. I just do it when I feel it. Yeah. I mean, like, especially if you're a longtime listener, like we ripped on the walking dead to the point where we mm -hmm. became known as the hater podcast at the height of the walking dead's popularity. Cause we yeah. thought it was a big pile yeah. of shit. Um, we abandoned that show at kind of its height, not its quite height of popularity, but it was still towards at its peak. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, um, I stopped doing Better Call Saul in season, after season four because I started to hate that show. If you want to hear me, what, <laughs> what it sounds like for me on a, or I'm checked out on a TV show, listen to late season four Better Call Saul coverage. <laughs> um, I don't think we're shy. Like I, I, I mean, honestly, the other is like we don't do succession. Succession right. is the premier prestige television show right now. It mm -hmm. would undoubtedly be a huge hit and get us a lot of money. Why don't we cover it? Because we fucking don't care about Succession. Right. I know it drives a lot of people. See, it dri I know it drives a lot of people nuts, but I do it anyway. Because I honestly don't know how to hide my emotions that well. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not I, that good at like faking. I will. Okay. The other thing I'll say is that maybe this show feels a little bit paint by numbers because we are so familiar with the source material. Yeah. And a lot of times the the episode is just executing what we already know happened exactly the same way. And I think those episodes we might come across a little thin, but like the 
I think we really got it up for the Bill episode and for, ep- for sure. last episode and this episode. It felt like to me anyway. Yeah, I think that might have been in effect when this episode you get the big moment between Joel and Ellie, which I remembered from the game and is in a lot of ways verbatim from the game. It, I I guess things I'm more familiar with, I don't feel the need to talk about in great detail. Uh, but I probably need to keep in mind that there are many people out there who have not played the game and are just watching this and seeing these scenes for the first time, and they probably would enjoy some discussion about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's no... I mean, I, I don't see any reason to to mask my lack of enjoyment on something um and i yeah i i I think this show is is amazing and i'm just like licking my chops for season two so you Mm -hmm. guys if you guys wonder if it's sincere enthusiasm or not i yeah i I don't know how to convince you otherwise but that's my sincere answer i'm just worried that people aren't hearing the enthusiasm in the way we talk about the show because boy i feel it i i guess it's not coming across quite the way i want it to uh we we should try radio jockey voices like with the Mando promo. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Jim, what'd you think about this amazing episode of The Last of Us? This pulse, this pulse pounding episode of The Last of Us. Well, let me tell you, Aaron, I really just shit myself. I mean, it was so good. I could not believe I had to go to the toilet. I had to go to the toilet twice. Twice My in this one episode. shot out and I pissed blood when Joel <laughs> said to Ellie. Ellie, you're my surrogate daughter, and I couldn't, I couldn't believe the amount of acting skill I was witnessing. Couldn't say any of this on the radio. Yep, yep. That's that's what we're doing. When's la- hey, when's the last time you've actually listened to terrestrial radio? You don't know. You know A what long kind of time ago. twisted hellscape it's it's turned into. Podcasting's got him on the run. All right, <laughs> let's move on to Mandy. In the last feedback episode, one of your listeners wrote in about Ellie falling asleep when Sam was scared and infected and how that may have been a biblical archetype. To me, it immediately made me think of Odysseus. Is that how you pronounce that? Odysseus? Odysseus. Who was warned several times not to let his men eat the cattle of the sun god Helios or all suffer death. God damn, how many many men must, must we lose? To eating sun god cows. This is something we don't talk about in modern society, honestly. True. So we talk about the assault rifles. We do not talk about the sun god cows. Right? It's a problem. On the island, Odysseus falls asleep while praying, nonetheless, and his men mutiny, eat the cattle of Helios, incur the wrath of Zeus. They all die at sea, leaving Odysseus alone, wandering the seas in search of home by himself. To me, Ellie is definitely the hero archetype, and when heroes fall asleep at times, they shouldn't. Bad things happen. So, isn't just another just, religious reference, just way more ancient uh, than I was familiar with. Yeah, it seems like the same story as Moses going up to get direction from God and his followers worshiping false idols while he's up there. That seems well, very, you know, very there's, similar. There's a lot of <laughs> themes that repeat. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people copying mm-hmm. off each other's homework in the beginning and and uh, all that. Or or all could be that we have a universal God that's the same for everybody and certain truths are universal. Mm-hmm. It could be that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jury's still out. Gretchen says, in 2013, a few days before Christmas, I told my 12-year-old daughter I had a headache and was going to lie down. I remember having the most intense, horrible pain in my life in my head, but unable to comprehend what was happening. Not long after my daughter called 9-11, my breathing sounded funny, and when she tried to wake me up, I started screaming. A few weeks before, I had a severe headache, pain in my neck, nausea and vomiting, but did not go to the ER because it was Thanksgiving. I thought, I can't go to the ER for a headache. 
My daughter turned out saved my life. The best place for information, because uh, spoiler alert, uh, she had a brain aneurysm. I figured. The yeah. best place for information is the Brain Aneurysm Foundation website at bafound.org. One in 50 people have an aneurysm. The federal government spends $2.08 a year on research for each person inflicted. Ruptured brain aneurysms are fatal in about 50% of the cases. Of those who survive, 66% suffer some permanent neurological deficit. This is all coming up because, you know, I talked about the whole just offhand comment of how fragile life is and brain aneurysms. Mm -hmm. If you would please share my email and attached information, I can only tell my story and hope that if anyone has the worst headache of their life, get help right away. If your family has a history of your aneurysms, get screened. You know, I never even knew you could get screened for that. And I don't have it in my yeah. family history because the ones I was mm. talking about. Uh, well, I guess. Yeah, I guess my aunt. Um. I didn't know you could get that. So it's like it's like um, that. I just guess that goes to highlight the, the need for like stuff like BA found dot was it dot. I want to make sure I get it right. Yeah. BA found dot org um, to raise awareness for that kind of stuff. We just got done with a big old fundraising drive for the Cure Owls folks. Uh, so if any anybody out there missed a chance to give to that and they want to give to a good uh, cause, check out BA found dot org. And yeah, if you've got family history of aneurysm, those things are terrifying. If you can get screened, you got uh, good medical insurance and access to healthcare. Uh, get that shit checked out. All right, this is the final non-spoilery or sporally email before we get to the spore lore section, Jim. So I'm giving people advance notice at the end of this. It's going to be uh, time for the spore lore. Uh, we'll have a little outro and a spore lore. Michael says. Uh, something cool I noticed is there's a kind of a weapon progression with Joel. The rifle he first gets in episode four doesn't have a scope. Then he kills and takes the old man's rifle, which essentially has the same is the same, but has a scope. And now Joel has Tommy's rifle uh, that earlier in the episode, Tommy said he had put a few up a new upgraded scope on. It feels very much like an homage to game uh, in the game to how you could upgrade your guns at the workbench. Yeah, totally. Yeah, because I think that's exactly the upgrade path. You can get the rifle, then you can get a simple scope and then you get the adjustable power one. Nice. It's like one of the last uh, scope upgrades you can do. So, I, and I, that goes to like what we're talking about firearms in general. Is like I think a lot of this is more just a, a nudge and a wink at the gun stuff that happens in the show, uh, more than like a statement on guns in America. But mm. I thought that was a really cool touch. And that's the final non-spoiler. Or... Hold, hold on. And whoa, let me throw whoa. one more game touch in there. Uh, this is also the episode where Joel's seen using pliers, which are kind of the symbol for... It's the thing you collect to unlock the next tier of upgrades mm. in The Last of Us. You got to have tools, right? Right. Special, yeah. Right. Um... So that's the last email, non spore email. If you'd like to send us feedback, it's easy. TLU at baldmove.com. You can get that in for next week's episode. If you would like to support us and get access to fabulous uh, premium content like our instant talk, instant take podcast. Hell, you can watch us record it live on Sunday nights. You can even get in YouTube chat and talk with us. I'm, I saw, I think some guy got confused and put just a ton of comments in the Patreon thread. Instead of mm. the YouTube thread. If that was you, sir, I am so sorry. We lost all of your feedback. Uh, click on the YouTube link that says uh, join the chat here and uh, you might get a, a shot to get some of that stuff read on air. Support.baldmove.com <laughs> if that sounds like a winning proposition to you. Uh, follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash baldmove. Uh, otherwise, we'll see you Sunday night for the instant take. We'll see you supporters for the instant talk as well. 
Now we're going to get Spore Lori, so get out if you have not played The Last of Us Part 1. Watch out for that fungus! Be right back with more Savage Starlight. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, do you even know what it's like out there? No, not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne into cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by... Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission the Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. We found something to fight for. This podcast. Welcome back to Savage Starlight. All right. First up is Alex from the UK. says, I was wondering if you had any thoughts about the amount of game stories to episodes remaining. This is a perennial <laughs> yeah. worry for people. Uh-huh. My personal favorite part of the game is the winter section. Now, seeing as we have only three episodes remaining and next week seems to be a solo Ellie backstory episode, that means we only have two episodes to get through winter and the hospital finale. You've seen in one of the trailers that David's group are part of the series and that Ellie David showdown is an integral part of the Ellie and Joel relationship. I think Druckmann and Mason have done a faultless job of the adaptation so far, so I'm sure they'll do the right thing, but would love to know your thoughts on this. Jim, are you worried with three episodes to go that we can get through it all? Uh, I was worried that there were too many episodes left until I realized that they were going to do a flashback-focused one next week uh, with Ellie, because there are really only two more beats as I see them in the plot. There's, the, yeah, that whole winter fight sequence. Um mm-hmm in the the restaurant and stuff and then there's the end of the show or the end of the game rather mm-hmm. um and those are easily done in two episodes so yeah doing this flashback episode i think i think it's a perfect amount i think they've got exactly yeah. what they need i think they're going to do essentially the entire dlc in the winter uh-huh. in exactly the same context that occurs in the game so i yeah i i was kind of worried earlier in the season but like they have uh, the the they have shown that they know when to speed up and when to slow down, and it's been, I would say, flawless pacing thus far. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not worried about it at all. Greg says the draft scene happens when they're getting closer to the hospital in the last chapter of the game, so it's still not to happen yet. The monkeys are only the only animal they find in the university. Don't okay. lose hope on seeing that scene just yet. Good. We need that scene. Yeah. It's so perfect. Many people pointed out that in the scene where Ellie's in that teenage girl's bedroom, you know, that she's shacking Mm -hmm. up in and and Joel comes in, they have the fight uh, that behind Joel, there is this massive poster of a giraffe. 
So nice. they are they are we're definitely getting drafts, man. We are <laughs> I hope so. We we will not have to riot. We're gonna get the long neck boys. It's gonna be glorious. Uh I I I wonder what the people who are no context spoiler diving here are thinking about this. Like, what the fuck? Giraffe? What? what the fuck? Giraffes? Right. What what? <laughs> Serves you right. Shouldn't be here. Shouldn't be here. I hope you feel alienated uh-huh. and like you don't belong because you don't. Uh <laughs> Daisy. Wow. They're just hurting themselves, Jim. I hate. To, I hate to see it. I hate to see it. It's true. Because I. It's like because I. At the end of every season, I always get a long, shameful trail of people like you know. Mm-hmm. You told me not to do it, and I did it, and I regretted it. And it's like, what can I tell you, man? Drafts. Get out now. I still can. Daisy's up next and says regarding the dog sniffing Ellie and not ripping her to shreds. I think it's supposed to be a hint at what's happening with her immunity and what ultimately will happen at the hospital in the last episode. When Ellie and Joel are camping, Ellie makes a comment about the fireflies taking blood samples to make a cure. But immunity Mm -hmm. isn't that simple. In the games, Ellie is immune because of a mutation in the cordyceps fungus. It's actually nothing to do with Ellie herself. That's the reason making the vaccine will kill her, because samples of the fungus need to be removed from her brain. Mutation could be significant enough to not set off the dogs, but still considered an infection to Fedra's devices. I think the point is to simply hint their immunity and making a cure won't be as straightforward as the characters and probably the non-gaming viewers of the show think it will be. Yeah, that makes sense. I I did, I forgot that it was the the cordyceps itself that it mutated. Because mm-hmm. I remember the last time I played through being... Well, I don't want to get into this because this is going to get into the the big moral debate that we'll have, no doubt, at the final episode. Um, sure, sure. So we'll just... Uh, but yeah, I'm going to keep that in my back pocket for then. Uh, finally, for the spore lore section, Casper says, there's one single thing that I found was a funny Easter egg. Uh, there was a scene in, with the elderly couple in the beginning of the episode where he asked him, the man to show on the map where they are and says he hopes he shows the same to his wife. He uses the same uh, technique in the game when he interrogates the two cannibals, and this technique Ellie also uses with less success in part two. Uh, so, hmm. yeah, I do remember that scene in the first game. Um, he's got a couple of them seated, and Ellie and wasn't there for that one, right? I don't think so. Because he's trying to find her. Yeah. I think he like wakes right. up and he's alone because she's been taking care of him and mm-hmm. finding the medicine and all that stuff. And she's not there. So then he has to go out and, and try to find, I think, right? Right. In the snowstorm and all that. Yeah. I, yeah. That sounds right to me. So this you get uh, you get the Ellie, can, you know, with her her big eyes and her big ears are soaking up everything Joel's doing is going to try it. And I don't even remember her doing that in part two. But yeah, I don't I'm, either. I'm definitely playing part one as soon as this we're done watching this. And I'm thinking I might just roll in part two, but that's a bigger commitment. Oh, yeah. It's at least twice the commitment of part one. We'll see. Uh, are you ready for some super spore lore? For sure. So this means if you haven't played all of The Last of Us 2, uh, you are you are threatening to mess up and get yourself spoiled. So uh, all you Last of Us One vets, uh, you got to go, got to go home. Last of Us Two vets, come on in. Super spoiler: Adam from St. Louis said you already mentioned the Dina cameo in your episode, but the pony Ellie interacts with Shimmer is the horse they take to Seattle in part two. Uh, did they name uh, also- check the horse in the episode? They do when they okay. see the, the newborn right. horse. So it'll be five, six years older. Mm-hmm. 
uh, in the prime of its life. They call it Shimmer, which I think is also a My Little Pony reference. Um, Maybe. I don't know if the timeline works out for that to like the the my little pony g you know the 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 friendship is magic era i don't think that would work out in this universe but maybe shimmer was a gen gen 2 pony too i thought there was a shimmer pony no idea ah yes our producer is pointing out that there is a pony named sunset shimmer doesn't really look like this one i don't think there's many yellow orange horses around anthropomorphic or not but uh yeah yeah, someone's a My Little Pony fan. Or I don't know, probably Shimmer is a... That's probably why the pony on the pony show is named Shimmer, because it's like calling a dog Fido. You know, mm-hmm. this is a dog name. Common name. Uh, they also say on the Firefly map at the university, there's a clear track leading from Seattle to Salt Lake City. Uh, that's cool. Again, a little, little hint, a little hint towards Last of Us 2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, EQ says one of the main themes of the second game is how the revenge cycle is endless and ultimately ruins everyone. I'm paraphrasing here, but this leads to all involved having worse outcomes. Everyone leaves scarred. Everyone's left alone by the end, uh, by the people in their lives, not to mention the people that are lost on both sides throughout the game. Kathleen's story seems to follow the same pattern. Henry got her brother killed, which seen uh, set Kathleen down on a revenge fueled path that got herself and her entire community killed. It makes me wonder if the showrunners had known they'd have a second season when starting out, would they have chosen to tell Kathleen's story or would they have saved those beats for season two or three, where in my opinion, they'll hit harder? Yeah, I I mean, I guess that is one of my worries is those themes will be dragged out a little too much. It'll feel like the dreaded morgalizing from The Walking yeah. Dead, where it's like, we fucking get it, okay. Uh-huh, you don't have to have this guy flip-flop 15 times, uh, and then everyone around him do the same. Yeah, I, I'm a little worried about it, but man, I have so much faith in these writers at this point. At this I'm point, yeah. so willing to just go on that journey with them and see how I feel about it. Yeah, and that's kind of how I feel. Um, I do think that there's a little element of truth here. There's This is probably a little bit of, hey, let's put some of this in here because who knows if we'll get a second season. It could an be. expensive show. Um, it could also be them saying, hey, we're going to foreshadow and lay some you know, contextual framework for, for this uh, philosophy too. Mm-hmm. Um, I do low-key worry that this stuff will feel a little bit beaten to the ground uh, by the time you're done with The Last of Us 2, but... I th- I think the Kathleen thing is the only thing that they've done so far that would amp that up. So, like, mm. if there's one story beat that would ruin the entirety of the Last of Us 2 experience, I just can't believe that's true. Yeah, I hope not. If they did it again before the end mm. of the, the season, then then maybe. But but uh, yeah, I don't know. Caitlin says, also, I have a super spoiler question about what you think about the actress Shannon Barry as Abby. She looks perfect as long as she can act. Um, I've never heard of Shannon Barry before, but I Googled her and she definitely seems like she could be a good Abby. Uh, I've never seen anything she's in. She hasn't been acting that all that long, uh, at least not as an adult. Uh, she was in The Wilds, The Offspring and Hunters. And these were like sci-fi and CW shows, but she's got the look. I'll tell you the one I mentioned this in the uh, in in passing and very obliquely in the Ant-Man 
and the Wasp Quantumania podcast, Katie O'Brien, who plays Jintora, this kind of like uh, quantum, mm-hmm. wo- you know, warrior woman, uh, is decent because like the thing about Abby is she's hard as a coffin nail like her face looks like you could use it to like shape flint tools into the mm. hatchets and tomahawks and air like she's just got a very uh-huh. hard expression there's no no body fat that's the other thing she's like got zero body fat um I think she's got that kind of like angular hard looking face but also she has got the Abby body out of the box like right. your challenge there would be digitally de-aging her into the 14 year old version of Abby but if they could make Chris Evans look like a 98 pound weakling in First Avenger, I have mm-hmm. no no doubt that they could do a bang up job. I I I, it's a long shot. Uh, it's a it's a long shot. But like, yeah, Katie O'Brien. I'm I'm on the Katie O'Brien for Abby in the Last of Us fan wagon, bandwagon, fan wagon, fan bandwagon. Like I will say, I think Shannon Barry has definitely the look for it. Uh, the body type would have to be worked on. Unless you want to do all digital on her, like Captain America style, except the other way. I want. I, I, I think you could get, I don't know how, like you could get her to like Natalie Portman, Love and Thunder, Thor exactly, Jack. Yeah. You you'd have to. That's not quite the full Abby experience, but it's something to right. where I don't think it's like, it's, it's like we talked about with, uh, uh, was it Frankie Adams? Is that who plays Bobby uh-huh. on the, it's like, she's not a dead ringer for the book, Bobby, but she is an opposing enough woman that like, you don't need her to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger's body. You know, it's like, Oh, it's a six foot tall MMA fighting woman. That looks like someone who can kick ass, especially in power armor. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, Shannon Barry would be fine. She would have to get Marvel jacked because I do think I do. I do think. Do you th- actually let me ask you, do you actually think it's a big part of Abby's character to be that muscular and powerful built that powerfully built? Um, I think you could go a different way. I think you could go with like a skill based approach like she has honed her skills um, to be hard as a rock. Uh, and maybe, you know, her body is is healthy but not super yeah. jacked healthy i think athletic, you could do whatever. that i don't think game players would like that at all i yeah. think they would feel like that's too far outside of the scope of, of the game. i have observed that as long as the person brings the the thunder when it t- comes down to, to the emotional beats a lot of people will forgive not 100 percent on point character the descriptions and stuff if, as long as the, yeah. the person now if uh, whatever actor they get to play Abby is, you know, not super muscular and has some problems, it'd be like, yeah, I think the fans would turn on them at a heartbeat. But sure. Um, I do I, think, I think it'd be risky. And I think you can get pretty much anybody believably there. Right. Like yeah. if you can get Natalie Portman to put on like 30 pounds sure. of muscle sure. uh, for a movie, you get can yoked. get it, just about anybody to put on that kind of muscle. Right. I don't think of Natalie Portman as a particularly so. built person. So like you no. can do it. You can do it. Yeah, I think so too. And I, but I do think that it is a big part of her characterization because it just implies uh-huh. the, like all the trauma. Cause that's clearly, right. she's literally hardening herself so she can never be hurt again. And she can protect the people that she loves and she can protect the causes she loves. And, you know, mm-hmm. like that was like, she has turned away from the childhood things so much that she's transformed herself into a weapon. Um, you can do that. Like you said, you can do that with, uh, 
someone who's just athletic, but you really sell the the, the marksmanship and the the, mm-hmm. the survival skills and the stealth and the mo- you can do other ways. There's other ways people can be strong and fierce in combat than just a beast. Mm-hmm. Like turn her into but, a Warcraft type. Exactly, exactly. But the best way I think is always to be a beast. Sure. <laughs> if you want, yeah. if, if uh, you want to sell my body as a weapon, the best way is always just to be about it. So, yeah. Uh, KBS said regarding Sally Ride, while the time shift for the series makes it impossible for Ellie to know this as show canon, upon Sally Ride's death in 2012, she was revealed to have been a queer woman, thus making her the first publicly known LGBTQ astronaut. Those who are part of that community mm-hmm. sometimes were drawn to folks who are part of the same community, even when it's not public knowledge. I hate to tell you this, KBS, but that makes you a human because we all kind of are interested in our own communities. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but yeah, no, even when it's not public knowledge, there are plenty of reasons for Ellie to admire someone as accomplished as Ellie Ride. But the shared queerness is also a nice touch relatability that feels authentic. I put this in the spoiler section because it's still just a hint that Ellie is a young gay woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certain they will follow through. In fact, there's been a lot of tracks laid thus far. Uh, I think Sally Ride is another brick in the Ellie is gay wall. Uh, you also had her yeah. outsized skepticism about having a boyfriend. What are the other? I know there's been a few other. Oh, her kind of like a satirical take on the nudie mag. The fact that she has no interest in mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like she's just making bye jokes bye, and dude. throws it out the windows. You uh-huh. know you don't need any naked dudes to, to imagine. Um, I think there was yeah, one in the more. game in the first game, it's basically not mentioned at all. Um, That's the only thing. So they're doing a little bit more from. Yeah. 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 They're doing a little bit more in the show. Um, so, yeah, I think that's uh, I, I love the way they find find all these ways to just kind of subtly paint that picture that's going to come into sharp focus uh, mm-hmm. next year. Um, that's going to do it for our feedback show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for everybody who made it to the end. Uh, even you naughty, naughty show watcher only who is staying up past her bedtimes and, and sneaking downstairs to watch Johnny Carson. I see you. I hear you. I hear the stairs creaking as you're creeping down. Because uh, <laughs> the house was built in 1938 and you're 65 years old. Johnny Carson. I'm just. I'm just hard. Yeah, I'm just hardcore. I, yeah, I've just put yourself in real life as six year old Aaron's position of like I get lonely in bed and bored and I could hear my dad laughing at Johnny Carson and I'd sneak wow. down. I put my butt on the top step and every time dad would laugh, I'd move down a step <laughs> just so. And then I try to time it to where when I got sleepy, I wouldn't fall asleep on the staircase because then I get busted. So, you know, hmm. it was a is it is the is a dangerous game you play in the, mm-hmm. the 80s. Especially with Johnny Carson, yeah, Johnny Carson, yeah, because you might laugh and then it's uh, then then it's uh, it's all over. But um, anyway, thank you for listening. Tlu at baldmove.com if you want to send us feedback. Twitter.com/slash/baldmove. You want to follow along? You're already supporters. No, no, you're not. You're just spoiler people. Oh my god! I almost thanked you for your support. <laughs> well, if you want to get in on that, support.baldmove.com. And I get a lot of you probably are. Sorry for the stray rounds. Uh, it's been a long day. Can't wait for this weekend. See you guys Sunday night. Uh, Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Later.